Doings of Doyle is sponsored by Belanger Books, home of the best Sherlock Holmes anthologies featuring today's top Sherlockian authors. Belanger Books is the only authorised publisher of Solar Ponds Mysteries, continuing the Sherlock Holmes legacy into the 21st century. Visit them today at belangerbooks.com. Welcome to Doings of Doyle, a podcast dedicated to the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the creator of Professor Challenger, Brigadier Gerard, and of course, Sherlock Holmes. I'm Mark Jones. And I'm Paul Chapman. And together we'll be exploring Doyle's eclectic bibliography to understand more about the great man's life and work. We'll be discussing his fiction and non-fiction, the well-known and the obscure. And stopping by Baker Street along the way. You can find out more at doingsofdoyle.com or follow us at doingsofdoyle on Twitter. Hello and welcome to episode 47. Uh, This time we're taking a break from our usual format to take a look at the last 12 months in the Doylean world. It's uh, one of the great boons of our hobby that each year Conan Doyle seems to get more and more attention, whether that's uh, adaptations or events or publications. And so we wanted to take some time to acknowledge that and to pick out some of our highlights. Yeah, there was so much Doyle-related material and um, so many events last year that, that we've we've had to make a selection out of necessity. Hmm. We're based in the UK, so we're more attuned to happenings here, but obviously this is a worldwide phenomenon, and we have tried to reflect that. We hope, anyway, that our selection proves of interest and may alert you to things you may have missed or wish to explore further. Yep. So if you want to find out about any of the things that we're going to talk about, you'll find links in the show notes, which you can find at doingsofdoyle.com. So I think we'll get started with publishing and scholarship. I think we're blessed in this hobby that we've got a lot of great journals that are always producing material on on Conan Doyle. So Canadian Homes, Magic Door, Sherlock Holmes Journal, Baker Street Journal, of course. A recent addition to that's been things like a common newsletter from the ACD Society, which is reproducing the Blue John Gap manuscript. And, you know, Belanger Books have produced Steel True Blade Straight, which is a great annual that's now come out, uh, you know, two issues of that come out as well. Uh, But it does seem to be that Conan Doyle seems to be getting more interest, particularly from, I think, um, literary scholars. Yes, it's always been quite a difficult one this for years. Obviously, the the whole Sherlock Holmes issue yeah. clouds things. Um, but yeah, many years ago, I was I was heavily involved with the the, the Northern Musgraves mm. uh, Society, and and it was always a point with the Musgraves to bring Doyle in. Mm. Um, we 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 made a point of of trying not to do too much game material. At the same time, you had Chris and Barbara Roden starting their their early you know, Conan Doyle Society. Mm. Uh, and so the, you know you you got the, the stirrings back back then. Um, this was early to mid nineties, and yeah. now things are, are really uh, are really coming around to that viewpoint generally, mm. uh, where you you have, as you pointed out, Canadian homes are doing a, a lot of this, uh, and they're obviously tied into the uh, the, the, the Toronto Library, which mm. has always been very strong on this issue. And uh, as you said, without academia for for many years, uh, Doyle was 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 a, a no go area. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that is 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 beginning to change, and this this 
the, the whole move in in format and the understanding of, of of writers as to use that word, which we also dread, influencers, <laughs> um, is is all starting to move into into the into the discussion and the debate now. And and Doyle is is beginning to come out of the shadows somewhat and become less of a cartoon character than he used to be. Yeah, I think that's true. And one of the major um, areas of development that recently has been. Obviously, the Edinburgh edition of the works of Conan Doyle. Mm. This is a project to essentially compile the sort of definitive texts of Conan Doyle's major works. And uh, we spoke to the general series editor, Douglas Kerr, back in episode 30. And last year, 2023, there were two new volumes came out. Um, there was um, the uh, memoirs of Sherlock Holmes had to by Jonathan Cranfield in mm. March, which uh, we talked to Jonathan about that in episode 39. And more recently, July, there was the Round Red Lamp, uh, edited by Roger Luckhurst. Mm. And, you know, I think uh, we're starting to get a greater appreciation, not just of those texts and how they evolved, which is one of the things that the Edinburgh editions, I think, do really well, Mm. but also the commentary and the end matter is particularly good in those as well. So you get those rounded discussions about things like, you know, why, why does the memoirs not include um, the cardboard box, box mm-hmm. or or why is it that uh, you know the the ending of the Curse of Eve changed? Yeah, so you've you've got these these nice tie-ins between the worlds of Sherlock Holmes and and the world of Doyle's other writing, which is it's it's great to see this this really coming to the fore now. Mm. Um, and and I, I'm also you know, on a, on a, a personal really delighted to see that this is coming out of out of the edinburgh university press yes um and it it reflects the the work of of edinburgh particularly uh, owen dudley edwards yeah of edinburgh university and and his pioneering work in this field and and his 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 wonderful biography uh, the quest for sherlock holmes which which i can't recommend enough which came out in 1983 where owen was really pushing this mm. sort of material, and it, it's it's now coming to fruition. That that way of thinking, and the, the, this 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 fully rounded view now of of Doyle and Sherlock Holmes. Yes, yeah, uh, it, it's 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 wonderful to see this happening. Uh, and that really connects us to the next uh, of our highlights here, which is mm. that there's now a new Oxford World Classics edition of Sherlock Holmes, the mm. original version the 1990s version was was edited by uh by owen dudley edwards mm-hmm. um and there's now a new edition has come out uh this time uh edited by uh daryl jones from trinity college dublin who we really must get onto the podcast sometime no absolutely because, you know he's an expert both in in gothic literature and uh another great passion of ours which is mr james and mm-hmm. uh, we'll be returning to mr james later and oh, yes. um and, and yeah and and that um that Oxford World Classics edition is really interesting because I think where Owen approached it from a kind of more historical perspective, perhaps, you know, the new Oxford World Classics edition is bringing in more of the kind of modern literary studies take. Mm. Um, so it, it, it's a, a, while it's an updating, it's also, it, it feels very complementary. It's not a direct replacement as such. It feels like it's actually moving us forward in a slightly different direction. Oh, oh, definitely. It, 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 it's, it's doing a different thing. I mean, yeah. it, 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 
it, it, I remember the 93 issue coming out, uh, <laughs> and it still feels quite recent to me. Which <laughs> yes, is, it does. But you've, you've got this, this thing where, where we're talking 30 years ago now, mm. so there are there is a time for uh, an updating, but that's, that's what these really are, updatings. They're, they're not replacements, because yes. it's, it is, as you point out, a different way of looking at things. Um, it, it's whereas... Uh, again, as you mentioned, with the original 93 team, there was, there was you had Owen, who was an historian, W.W. Robson, yes, uh, very was... eminent literary scholar, yeah. um, also involved with the under, under great Shilokian, um, as well as, as um, Chris Roden and, and you know, the Richard Lansling Green, who, you know, still, still, um, years after his, his, his death, is, is still, through his work, uh, playing a role Yes, in in the way that we're going with with um, Doyle and, and Sherlock studies now, and um, and the, these this this ninety three issue showed the way to do this, and now with the new issue, we are as you say just getting this this kind of update and the the newer scholarship coming in, the discoveries that have been made since, yes, and there have been a lot in the past yes. thirty years. So this this has to be reflected. So mm. it, it's 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 a, it, it's it's all good. Mm, a good example of that actually is in the. The, the recent reappraisal of Conan Doyle as, uh, as a Gothic writer, you know, which, which really has taken off, I think, in the last 20 years. last 10 years has become a particular focus, I think. Um, and uh, when you read Daryl's introduction in particular to The Hound, the new edition of The Hound, he does a really good job, I think, of wrestling with the fact that The Hound is actually a Gothic novel that mm. Sherlock Holmes is then inserted into and then... Mm. Sometimes the joins are a bit clumsy, but the fact that actually you can bring out that the fact that it's such an incredible gothic novel in and of itself. You know, so oh, yeah, about, yeah. I mean, Christopher Frayling, was it in the nineties, was talking about the sort of four cornerstone um gothic works being uh Frankenstein, Dracula, Jekyll and Hyde, mm. and and of course Hound of the Baskervilles as well. Mm, mm. And, and and the the hound it, it, it's I I always recommend it to, <laughs> to someone who's never read any Sherlock Holmes. Where do you start? I always recommend they start with the hound rather than studying Scarlet. Yes, um, because it, it's 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 such such a good book. I always make sure that I I read it at least once a year, at least. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's a, a wonderful work, and it is because of this 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 richness of it being a detective story, a gothic novel, and you you, you then go back to its origins with uh, with with Doyle's meeting with Bertrand Fletcher Robinson, and and mm. right from the start, mm. Doyle is referring it to as a real a, a real creeper. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he 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 just wanted to write this 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 kind of I, I, I think a piece of gothic escape um, because mm. he'd just come back from the Boer War and the, you know the horrors of 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 being a doctor in Bloemfontein in the typhoid yeah. epidemic there and it's this kind of escape into the the, the world of 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 controllable gothic horror um, yes and that's all playing a part here yes I mean and, and that's a running theme in gothic studies isn't it that mm. gothic is really about uh, play it's a it's a safe way of playing with mm, these mm. threatening ideas from that exist on the fringes of society or dealing with mm. ideas that are, we are, are quite uncomfortable um mm. so yeah i think i think there's definitely that reading in hand and and daryl i think brings out quite a lot of that in um in his introduction as well so the the oxford world classics are very good new contributions to the scholarship as well mm. i mean mm. the one thing i would like is i would really like them to be in hardback 
Cause oh, I, definitely. We, I, we, we, <laughs> I like my 93 versions in hardback. Yeah, and we, we, you know, if, if they could do what they did in 93 as well, issue it in a nice hardback set with a nice presentation <laughs> display box, that would be even better. That would be even better. That would be lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, scholarship doesn't sort of end with um, the printed word, of course. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're blessed as well that we have more digital resources now mm. as well. And I think one of the highlights that we wanted to focus in on as well was uh, a website that came out earlier this year, which was called An Alpine Walk, Conan Doyle, mm, Sherlock mm. Holmes in Switzerland. And uh, that was produced by uh, Lawrence Pernay, a, a researcher who spent some time in the uh, with the papers of the Conan Doyle Foundation in the Bibliothèque Cantonale in, in Lausanne. And um, Lawrence produced an absolutely incredible website. Mm, mm. I'd, I'd, I'd recommend anybody to go and have a look at this and you know, the, 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 the material that's on there and wonderful pictures, mm. absolutely, absolutely fascinating stuff. And it, it really does open your mind and your eyes to, to the, the, you know, the Swiss element yeah. uh, within Conan Doyle's life and the importance of it. Yeah. You know, it's such a pivotal moment in the story of Conan Doyle and Sherlock Holmes is is the Reichenbach Falls to then be able to see photographs of the time um, when he was visiting mm. these locations as well. It's it's a great piece of work, and, and um, it's, it's 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 always worth revisiting this the the uh, the, the whole issue. Of the, uh, we've discussed this before when we were uh, talking about the final problem, but going back to this period and and there's there's so much mythology accrued around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's always interesting to go back and and just chip some of that away. Yes, um, and and get the story underneath, which, as ever with these things, is far more fascinating than the mythology anyway. Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> and the Alpine Walk website is a good illustration of what is happening generally in with the digitization of collections mm. as well. And uh, recently, uh, Jesse Amala, who's the curator of the Conan Doyle collection at the Toronto Public Library, you mentioned just before. Um, just reported that all of the correspondence between Conan Doyle and Greenhouse Smith is now available as scans mm. um, online at uh, at the website. And, you know, people like Tim Johnson at Minnesota continue to do that work. And there was a really very interesting uh, online exhibition back in October that uh, caught my eye from the University of Delaware. Um, and they put online just a handful of treasures from their collection um, but they included within it uh, a letter from Conan Doyle to Jesse Drummond, who was a friend from mm. Edinburgh days, in which he talks about his difficulty setting up in Southsea, but also makes these casual references to these works that he's <laughs> got, like Captain of the Pole Star and things mm. like that. Uh, and then a letter to Stoddart in 1891 mm. and, a, and a, a letter, I think, to Pond about his 1894 North America tour as well. Mm. And, um, you know, the fact that we're getting more of these collections online now mm. is such a boon to researchers. You know, mm. if you think about the scholarship that went into that, even that 93 edition that we were talking about before, how much harder it was then to be able to get mm. hold of this material. And now, mm. you know, every, every week that goes by, more and more material is being made available online. That's mm. fantastic. Well, I mean, think in in our interview with with Jonathan Cranfield earlier in the year, he made this this point about uh, how he was able, when when putting together the the edition of the memoirs, to go in to newspaper archives. Yes, with 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 great reason, and and making the point that that back in '93, when Christopher Roden was editing 
the memoirs, he, he didn't have the opportunity to do this. He actually had to go into the archives themselves. It yeah. was, it's becoming it's becoming easier and becoming wider. Putting it together is just as hard as it ever was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the actual research element is is becoming uh, a, 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 an, a, an easier process yes. than it used to be. Yeah. Actually, while you're on the topic there of newspapers as well, one of the one of the books I'd like to give a shout out to is um, uh, uh, the latest volume. It was January 23, but it was the latest volume of uh, Sherlock Holmes and Conan Doyle in the newspapers, which mm. comes out from Wessex Press. And they have been doing the, the spade work of, of compiling yeah. all of those references. It's an astonishing <laughs> mm-hmm. exercise. Um, and, uh, but it's it sort of, um, it, again, it's illustrative of, of how Conan Doyle's um, popularity grew, that the first volume covered multiple years. Mm. And and actually, volume six covers one month. Yeah, <laughs> October eighteen ninety four when he's touring North mm. America. I mean, I have no idea how the editors, um, Matthias Bostrom and Mark Alvesar, are going to cope with future <laughs> with future volumes. But I hope they do because mm. it's a tremendous resource. Um, mm. And 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 actually, you know, in a weird way, you know, just having a volume which is just the press coverage on one month itself <laughs> is is uh, astonishing. You get such a rich insight into what is going on. Um, mm. you know, in a way that you it would just be really hard otherwise. Mm. And and showing yeah the the the, the, the importance of, of this man to his yeah. contemporary audience. Yeah, uh, it, it it is quite astonishing um, to 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 see his rise from this kind of uh, Edinburgh obscurity uh, into into this this worldwide figure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and and another big sort of tie together of of kind of scholarship and the more traditional Sherlockian approach, perhaps, mm. um, did did come at the end of the year with the release of uh, Andrew Lysett's "The Worlds of Sherlock Holmes," yes. which we yes. talked to Andrew about in 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 the previous podcast. Um, and it, in in a way, as I said, this, this is a very traditional book. It's it's a an, a very attractive you know, to use that phrase, coffee table book, if you yeah. like, but there's more to it than that. Yeah, absolutely. It, what uh, what Lysa tries to do as well is is tie together um, Sherlockian scholarship with Doyle. Yeah. Um, because, of course, um, Andrew Lysa produced uh, you, one of the cornerstone biographies of yes. Doyle in 2007, yes. and the first one to use the material... Uh, which had come into in, in, into awareness after the um, Christie sale in two thousand and four. Yeah. Um, so he had all that background. Um, so you, you've got this 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 interesting playing about with themes and ideas and tying together Doyle and and Sherlock. Mm. Um, mm. It, and it's a very very commendable book. There are one or two unfortunate slip ups with facts, which will will happen with these kind of books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but you know they they don't don't detract this. From buying it because it, it is a, it is a wonderful volume to have um, yeah. and and hopefully there will be um, future. It's the kind of book that can be updated. Yeah, and I, I think I think it, in its um, in the desire to deal with things thematically as well, it gets mm. it gets to the heart of some really interesting um, ideas and concepts that run throughout you know both the Sherlock Holmes canon but also Conan Doyle's life and mm. and that that sort of knitting together of things is quite is quite tricky to do. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, and and if, if there's kind of any other problem with the book that I, w- I would point out, it's the fact that uh, because, again, the nature of the book, that there's, there's, there's not enough space to explore the themes. Yes. To the extent that, yeah, they, yeah. that they deserve, that you, you know could have been done. But because of, of, of the, the actual format where the, the pictures are important, take up full pages and so on, that, you know, the, the text often suffers because of that to make yeah. the book prettier. Yeah. But, um, but the, 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 as I say, there's, there's plenty of scope to, to keep updating and reissuing this. Yeah, yeah. So let's think about some of the events and meetings and, and, and related activities that have happened in 2023 as well. And I think um, right at the beginning of the year was that the uh, wonderful um, uh, exhibition Sherlock Holmes and 221 Objects moved to the University of Minnesota. Um, and this is the uh, collection of treasures from the private um, private archive of Glenn Maranca, which actually launched at the Grolier Club in, in New York City in January 2022. And it's an absolutely remarkable collection. You know, Glenn's um, archive has about 8,000 items. And so he had to pick from it 221 that really spoke to him and told a story about Conan Doyle and his relationship with Sherlock Holmes as well. And he covers everything from first appearances to pirate editions and original artwork to, you know, the jaw dropping for me, the Norwood notebooks. And uh, to see those notebooks and the, the original manuscript of Dancing Men and, and, and things like that as well. But he, he's managed to pick up a whole range of things like, uh, you know, the only only surviving salesman's dummy of the Hound of the Paskervilles <laughs> hawked around to the various booksellers. Um, but I, I, I do think it is quite an amazing thing. And if you don't get a chance to see it, the catalogue itself is an amazing piece of work. It was written by Glenn and his wife, Kathy, and it actually won the Tony and Frieda Howlett Literary Award from the Sherlock Holmes Society of London last year in May as well. So it is a, definitely worth picking it up if you, if you haven't got a copy and you can't get to the, to the exhibition. Uh, and it all plaudits to Glenn for you know, seeing himself as a preserver or a custodian of this work, of this archive, that he actually shares this with, with other people in this kind of way. Mm-hmm. Which doesn't always happen with, with obviously, with with uh, some of these precious objects in private hands. Which is, you know, it's it's perfectly understandable. But it it is wonderful when they are yeah. shared, and someone is 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 you know so proud of their collection and knows what to do with it. Yes. Yes. How to get it displayed? How to really work with this collection and and get the most from it and 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 use it as you've pointed out as a as a, as a teaching tool. And and with that, that, what we've been talking about all the way through this podcast so far, I think, is context. Yeah. All these things are enriched by context. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and you begin to understand the connection between yes. objects, between people, between work. Uh, and it just enriches it all. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Glenn and others have been very generous in sharing, off, you know, their manuscripts and having those reproduced mm. facsimile editions and, um, uh, you know, the accompanying scholarly commentary on those mm. is mm. is really about drawing in those the, the context and the connections i think uh i was really pleased to hear that actually one of the things in in that uh exhibition conan Doyle's handwritten notes for one of his speeches the romance of medicine is going to come out as a manuscript as a facsimile edition in 2024 mm. and uh you know we hope very much to be able to have glenn on the podcast to talk about that because mm. that's a really significant work in and of itself Mm, mm. And and again, the 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 time he made it, it it's 
uh, another important context piece yes. uh, in Conan Doyle's life. The, the progression of different works and the times they appear. Mm. This is the other thing that the, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really, really important um, issue to discuss. And, mm. and what's going on here with, with these yeah, reproductions of manuscripts and so on, we, we, we can begin to, 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 to understand all this work far better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, talking about private collections, the other thing that 2023 was big for was the number of auctions of material that came, mm. came onto the market. And and the one which unsurprisingly really caught the public imagination was the um, the Christie's sale of um, Charlie Watts uh, <laughs> collection, which uh, you know the, the the drummer of the Rolling Stones. Who he, he's when you look through the catalogue, it's it's astonishing. Um, he he had a real eye, yes, um, and was you know a, a great collector, yeah. um, and went for the good stuff. <laughs> um, and you, you look at the library, there are only a few items of Conan Doyle, but it's, you know, it, it, it's, it really is superlative. Mm. Um, what was in there? The, the, the big ticket item of course, was the, was his first edition of the hound. Oh um, yes. Signed by Conan Doyle with a note saying, uh, I perambulated Dartmoor before I wrote this book, which yes. sold for a tidy 200,000 pounds. Two hundred and fourteen thousand two hundred pounds. Wow! <laughs> the, the estimate was seventy to one hundred thousand. So it um, it obviously wow. generated <laughs> some competition amongst other collectors. Um, mm. But uh, as well as this, uh, I, he had uh, pristine Nunes first editions of the Adventures of Sherlock Holmes and the Memoirs of Sherlock yeah. Holmes. Yeah. Uh, there was there was a first edition, rare first edition of the Case Book. Mm-hmm with its its jacket um but the other item which really caught my eye in this uh, in this sale was um a copy of um a study in scarlet um it's <laughs> not not a very special looking um one it was um a lippincott's um yes. philadelphia issue 1890 yeah. that had been rebound mm. Um, but what was was really interesting was again it's a, an inscription um, on the on the title page with A Conan Doyle's kindest rec- kindest recollections of pleasant partnership in travel June the thirteenth ninety one um, and th- this had been uh, given to two I think it's two American ladies who travelled mm. with um, Arthur and Louise and there's there's actually a fascinating tintype photograph. Yes. Of the four of them together, which I'd yes. never seen. No, no. Um, included with this. Um, so th- this is an actual, yeah, an historic artifact. Yeah. Uh, as well as, as, as a wonderful collector's piece. So, yeah, yeah it's a, a fascinating auction. Um, and, and as I say, the, the, the Conan Doyle was only a fraction. Yes. Uh, absolutely wonderful jacketed firsts of Raymond Chandler and, and, and uh, Dashiell Hammett. Mm. Beautiful editions, um, but there's always, um, to, 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 to me, certainly a sadness with this, seeing the, this, this carefully curated collection being broken up. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And particularly items like that where you've got these, these runs of, of beautiful first editions, which, which it's a shame. Yes. Mm. Um, I mean, some of them, as you've pointed out, with, with Glenn Maranka's collection, are go to collectors who will then allow some sort of public access. That's right. Yeah, and mm. I think I think also, you know, there are people like Randall Stock who runs the Best of Sherlock website, mm. bestofsherlock.com, which 
you know, and Randall is doing a very good job of sort of keeping tabs mm. as much as possible on, on where these things go and where they exist, uh, particularly mm. manuscript editions as well, because yeah. I think that's, that's so important. Um, and, and, you know, I think one of the things that we found in creating this podcast is that often these catalogs are great sources for information as well. And, um, you know, there was a, uh, an auction back in April, the Robert Hess collection, which had some really interesting things in there, including letters from Joseph Bell, some of Conan Doyle's spiritualist correspondence from the twenties, um, mm. you know, papers relating to Dickie Doyle. Um, mm, mm. and, uh, and I see that the, the, the second of the, uh, Robert Hess, uh, auctions is in February, 2024 and includes mm. items from Roy Pilot's collection. Mm. Um, and, uh, within that is the manuscript of uncle Burnack. Um, you know and that would that would be a fascinating one to look at as well simply because it was you know i don't think conan Doyle was ever all that happy with burnack and Mm. you know quite a lot of chopping and changing going on exactly where you were you were talking earlier about you you know with the hound of the baskervilles you can see the joins burnack would be particularly interesting in this this way to see the manuscript and and knowing that doyle was unhappy with it and it, it is it is very much a novel of two parts, if yes. not three, that's just been <laughs> chopped together and Doyle was never happy with the end result and parts of it read like a list rather than a novel. It's, it's, it would be fascinating yeah. to actually look at the, the, at the manuscript and, and see. I know Doyle's manuscripts often don't have crossings out and changings, but to see what oh, where think, things do change. Yeah. I would have thought this one does. Um, <clears throat> or, or, you know, there are some... There are some of the Gerard manuscripts where there's like a half page missing. Mm, you know, mm. So you, you, you do wonder, I mean, not, not all the manuscripts sort of fared well last year. I think Brockus court was up for auction in September mm. um, and didn't meet the reserve. So, mm. um, but again, it's a kind of lesser work. And uh, I suspect, I suspect Bernack will find a home and let's hope that it finds a home with somebody who can turn it into a facsimile edition. Oh, absolutely. And yes. Find out what happened to it. <laughs> The other thing that happened this last year is that there were there were plenty of conferences, and um, you know, one that I was really hoping to be able to go to was the Reichenbacher Regulars Conference in May, um, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. But fingers crossed, they will be able to um, publish the papers from that conference in the same mm. way as they did with uh, fairly recently uh, with uh, with previous conferences as well. But there's also been you know sort of obviously a growth in in recent years, particularly post pandemic. Uh, of online conferences mm. and um, there are there are a, a couple that I think are real anchor events of the year that is worth people attending if they possibly can and and the great thing is you can go back and attend these if you miss them the first time mm. around um, so back in September the the BSI trust which sort of preserves the um, the story of the Baker Street Irregulars as an organization um, had a presentation from Steve Rothman on Christopher Morley and Edgar Smith you know, two of the great foundational mm-hmm. figures and about their, their relationship and how they were there at the sort of genesis of what today is sort of Sherlockian publishing. Um, mm. And then uh, back in uh, November, there was the Cameron Hollier lecture um, for the Friends of the Conan Doyle Collection at Toronto Public Library, mm. um, which, this, which last year was um, given by Dana Richards on uh, The Fires of Fate, mm-hmm. um, the play of uh, Tragedy of the Crosco, which, um, and, and Dana was really focusing in there on the um, depiction of a particular medical condition and whether Conan Doyle was playing fast and loose with the public in the way in which he 
you know, was he being irresponsible with the public in the way that he handled this information? Which I think is really is really fascinating, and it actually came up in um, a very recent online event that I was um, fortunate enough to be involved with the the literary agents meeting. We just had the January twenty four one a few weeks ago, and this whole idea of um, Conan Doyle as uh, uh, being a uh, uh, being a medic and being a, a literary figure and what the tensions between the two really came out in the discussion there with the panel, but also with, with Roger Luckhurst, who mm. edited the Round the Red Lamp for the Edinburgh edition as well. Yeah, I, I, when you, you, you mentioned the, um, the, the, the Edgar Smith and, mm. and uh, Christopher Morley um, discussion, I mean, this is another area Um I'm sure we'll 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 really develop into a full area of scholarship uh, over time uh, in 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 the fullest sense with the, with the, the context of of Doyle and Sherlock Holmes studied by people of that caliber. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, again, the context, the literary context of of somebody like Morley. Yes. Yeah. Who who too many people you know it, it is just associated with Sherlock Holmes in many minds now. Yes. Yeah. But you've got yeah. this whole literary hinterland with him. Yes. That all ties into it's it, it, it's the world of of Doyle and Sherlock reaching out you know, you know Moriarty like with the tentacles in other worlds. <laughs> uh, and and I, I really feel that this this is somewhere that the the whole subject is is going to move towards in the future. Yes, I mean Starrett as well with the work of Red mm, absolutely, as well. Yeah. I mean mm. the, the the there's a lot of really excellent scholarship already out there and I think you're yeah. right it's mm. waiting it's waiting for its time to be sort of mm. discovered by more of a mainstream. Mm. Um the other event uh, online event that is worth just giving a mention to is um the Worldwide Doyle series which mm. comes out of the Portsmouth City Libraries mm. and that takes place in June July. Uh, each year it started again i think during the pandemic and um it's continued uh since then and you know at, at doing so door we're we're happy to host the recordings of those mm-hmm. events uh on the youtube site and we'll put a link to to those this year we had talks on supernatural stories of conan Doyle by brian woods we had sydney padgett's visions of sherlock holmes by chris pittard um michael gunton the curator of the richard lancel and green bequest um, was also able to talk about, um, you know, the collection, w- what's in it, and how it came about. Um, and then there was a rather more flippant piece by <laughs> myself <laughs> and Ross Davies uh, of the ACD Society on on Conan Doyle's somewhat disastrous involvement with a sculpturing machine company. Nice. Um, but one of the nice things to think about recent years is that you know we have had more of these online events. Um, mm. We are now able to connect more as a community of of aficionados and scholars mm. uh and and to take part in these events remotely uh, and, and, and review them another way of getting kind of different subjects uh in, into the into the public eye that you, know, you you can obviously do through articles and, and essays but this is this is a, a another way of doing it and and, and obviously more visual mm. um and 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 again you I, I, as as i was watching your, yours and Ross's presentation on the on the sculpting machine. <laughs> your 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 own mind goes along the lines of oh well he would be another 
big project for someone, you know, Conan Doyle and his love of gadgets and mad inventions. Oh, yes. yeah, there's a whole book in there as well. <laughs> um, I mean, this is the thing you constantly get with, with, with Doyle and, and, you know, why he himself was so frustrated by being tied to Sherlock so much is his, his, his breadth of interests. Yeah. Well, that nicely takes us to the kind of last section that we want to really talk about, which is our sort of stage and screen. And in particular, the, the sort of the real big ticket item of, of last year on the um, nonfiction side was uh, a new documentary, Killing Sherlock, Lucy Worsley on the case of Conan Doyle, which came out in December. And, um, you know, I think I was really pleased to see that this come to the BBC. It was great to actually see that we would get so much airtime <laughs> I was trying to track back through previous versions of documentaries on Conan Doyle. They're, they're either on different aspects of his life or they've been just on Sherlock Holmes rather than Conan Doyle. And, you know, you have to go back quite a long way, over 10 years before you get anything really substantial in, in this space. So it's good that you finally get, you know, three hours of primetime television devoted to his life. Um, so to actually, you know, delve into all manner of things from, you know, cars and, uh, um, uh, clubs and bodybuilding to you know his his interest in social justice and um you know his his fascination with war service and things like that but i do think it was not without its problems mm. as a documentary um you know this is for a general audience this is not for the people who you know not for you or i or for mm. people who listen to this podcast i'm sure mm. um but to sort of hook people there is this artifice of Lucy Worsley discovering things, and that sometimes really got up my nose. Mm -hmm. Said, <laughs> but leaving aside the sort of making of modern documentaries, I think there was also a, a, a wider problem in that the core premise was really that Conan Doyle was constantly throughout his life overshadowed by Sherlock Holmes, and that this became a, a kind of roadblock to respectability, um, and that led to some quite odd assertions in the documentary and they had to make some quite large leaps so at one point we were told that you know Conan Doyle investigated the Edelgy case because he wanted to outshine Sherlock Holmes or that you know he wanted to demonstrate bravery on the battlefield to step out of the shadow of Sherlock Holmes and I, I those were the particularly egregious bits of the documentary for me they were the bits that really did rankle because you know, it, it requires you to take a particular view of Conan Doyle, which I don't think is really backed up by the evidence. Well, in, in particular, I mean, where you, you, you talk there about the, the this uh, uh, Conan Doyle wanting to prove his bravery on the battlefield, it, it's, it's, it's nothing to do with that, is it? it, it his <laughs> entry into the Boer War, he was at a particularly difficult point in his life, mm. uh, and the war came up. And it wasn't that he wanted to... to, to you know, become a soldier and cover himself in glory. It's, it's a change of scene and and allied with with his sense of patriotism and duty mm. uh, more than anything with that. Which was why yeah he was disappointed when he was rejected for the army on on grounds of inexperience and age. Mm. Um, but as soon as he got the um, the ability to work with the the Langman Hospital, he was happy to go out as a doctor, which he, yeah. he was obviously trained and experienced. Um, he, he wasn't. He, uh, the sense was given that he was a glory seeker in this way, and yes. it's, it's, that's just not true. It's just not. It, it's it's far more complex than that. He, he was he was far more interesting and intelligent than than that. It, mm. it is, it, 
it, it just didn't present a, a true picture. It, it, it in fact, you know, skewed the picture. Yeah. Um, which, as you say, is it, egregious. Yeah. Some of what they were doing, um, I mean, particularly again tied into the Boer War section, the idea that really uh, irritated me was was the, this that he was hankering for knighthood. Yes, essentially, and that's just wrong. He did, he refused, wanted to refuse it. Yeah, uh, and felt you know his 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 mother told him he couldn't refuse it, and he felt duty bound to the new king. Yeah. Yeah. To accept the, the the knighthood, and and then years later he takes the opportunity to have Sherlock Holmes refuse a knighthood at exactly the same time. Yes, summer yeah, yeah. nineteen o two. It's very pointed. Yeah. Um. So the, this idea that he was hankering after after honours, it's just it's just not true. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that she really hits on in this documentary is the idea that Conan Doyle sought respect and. Mm. I can I can see a lot of that in mm. his life. Um, the 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 peculiar thing is, I think it's kind of the right argument and the wrong evidence. Uh, in the sense that I think you can sort of argue that he was seeking respect, probably up to about nineteen hundred. Um, mm. You know, I think it's harder to argue that case after nineteen hundred when he's more of an establishment figure and he's more recognised. And he does have a knighthood, but he's not pursuing it. But I think the mm. other thing about it is that seeking respect does come a lot from his background, from the fact oh, that yeah. he is, you know, from the cadet branch of a famous, you know, respected London literary family. He's from a relatively mm. impoverished background. And I think a piece that doesn't come out in the documentary, but I do think is fundamental to his psyche, is that he's Scottish. You know, this, you know there's an interesting thing about the fact that he adopts Englishness in such a way and becomes so synonymous with it. Mm, and... Not just uh, Scots Irish. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, obviously, within a format of this kind, the, with the program, you can't go into depth. So you you can't go into the full background and and you know the fact that his 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 grandfather John Doyle, the great caricaturist who who knew all the great and the good of his time, had actually come over from from Ireland and made his way as an artist. Yeah, um, yeah. and had brought the family into respectability and it, it, it's it's one of the great telling um facts of Doyle's life that one of the things he was proud of was he had that dinner table yes that had belonged to his grandfather yes. which all the great and the good of the time the duke of wellington uh, thackeray that all sat round this table mm. Uh, and and in a way you, you feel that, that that arthur was was wanting to get the family back to that and he did yeah yeah yes and, and so so i think there's kind of this there's the core of something correct there, mm, but you, mm. you have to be really careful with how you present things. So there's, you'd be forgiven for watching that and thinking that a study in Scarlet was the first book that Conan Doyle wrote mm. or that, you know, the Hound of the Baskervilles is, is Conan Doyle scratching an itch to write Gothic fiction when in fact he's got two decades of it before then. Yeah. He's constantly so, writing it. <laughs> yeah. So you get, career. you get some weird things appearing in this documentary that just don't, quite hang together mm. but i think the you know there is something laudable in trying to bring um a wider view of conan doyle to the public than you would mm. normally get i would also say that actually i thought that the expert contributions were really really good i thought that actually, when mm, you actually was... brought in the experts there were some great contributions there was a wonderful piece about um uh the Boer war and concentration camps there was also uh, a very good piece, I think, on forensics, and also, mm -hmm. you know, that interesting connection about 
the way in which psychics perform and the sort of deductive methods of Sherlock Holmes. Lots of nice connections being made Mm. between things. Mm. And I kind of would have liked the experts to have been let off the leash a bit and to to talk more around their subject. Because, you know, people like Dan Stashow is on there. He's incredibly knowledgeable about Houdini and Mm. about magic and about that spiritualist phase of Conan Doyle's life. But we only Mm. get, you know... The, the soundbite fragments of of mm. uh, from uh, from the experts at any one point in time, which is, you know, I think to the detriment. One one of the other uh, points, and again, this is this ties into to Doyle's interest in in the supernatural and so on, was that was missed out in in the Lucy Worsley program mysteriously was was the Cottingley Ferris incident, mm. which, which we've again covered on the podcast before, um, but it's central. Yeah. to the, the public perception of Doyle in the 1920s. Um, and it, it, a whole area was missing here. And obviously, it, it also, you know, some of the background that, that, that his father, uh, Charles, and his uncle, Richard, were both painters of fairies and both very, very much involved with the, with the kind of Victorian version of the fairies, which yeah. is, is what the Cottingley fairies were. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, it just felt to me... That there was a big gap there, but again, it, it is this, this this problem is it, it as you pointed out, it's not aimed at people like us. No. But I think the general public's imagination would certainly have been captured by use of the cartoon oh, fairies. Yeah, I mean that that is, I think, the one bit in the the argument around respect and respectability that is peculiarly missing from the documentary mm, because mm. it actually makes you know essentially Conan Doyle destroys his reputation in a very mm. short period of time, and. Um, you know that carries through into views of his literature and and other contributions to society for the next mm. eight nine years. Yeah, um, so it's a, it's an odd one to have missed out, but you know I'd be fascinated to know why that was the case. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, before we get on to the other big ticket item on, on in terms of television, it's worth um, saying that um, there was also an excellent stage production um, in yes. twenty twenty three as well that we were lucky enough to both go and see. Mm, yes, this is um, Black Eye Theatre's uh, adaptation, um, written by Nick Lane, of uh, The Valley of Fear. Mm. Um, now, a few years ago, uh, I, I certainly got to see their version of Sign of Four, yeah. which was, it was absolutely wonderful. Uh, this lived up to it. Um, and it, it's fascinating. I won't give too much away because it's still on tour. Mm. Um, uh, but, but Lane takes The Valley of Fear and... Instead of using the Doyle structure of Sherlock, flashback Sherlock, mm. he's constantly intercutting yeah. the two stories together. And it just worked beautifully. Yeah. And the, the narrative flow was excellent. And the other thing I will say about this production, and, and, and say if it comes near you, do go and see it, uh, is it takes Sherlock Holmes seriously. Yes, it does. It would be great to see Nick Lane and Black Eyed Theatre take the hand of the Baskervilles and turn it back into a gothic chiller. Yeah. Which, which they could do, and it'd be, be, be absolutely wonderful to, to see that done um, and, and to, to restore it to its, its, its correct place. But, yeah, great stuff. I, I did think that their adaptation was particularly well done because that intercutting of the two stories is made all the harder by the revelation as to who is... Birdie Edwards, yeah, you know? mm. and and they managed it fantastically. Mm. I mean, it, yep. it's that's a, a that is a neat bit of magic trick right there. Mm. Um, mm. Very good. So yes, yeah, so that was on stage, and then on screen, the thing that uh, ended the year was uh, the ghost story for Christmas, 
adaptation. Yes. Now, before we actually get on to this, uh, I'd just like to mention um, a, a book which came out earlier in the year, uh, Conan Doyle Mystery and Adventure, written by <laughs> our, our, our very own Mark Jones, um, which was uh, an in-depth examination of the, the uh, up to this point, really, the forgotten 1967 um, series of Conan Doyle stories, which were adapted uh, for television by John Hawksworth, who of course went on to um, the Granada series uh, from 1984 onwards. Um, but this was a series which took some of those gothic stories we've been talking about, the, the nonchalocking gothic stories um, and adventure stories, uh, and produced um, individual plays of them. Mm. Um, the reason we don't know about this is unfortunately most of them in that classic uh, late 60s, early 70s BBC way uh, have been wiped. Yes. Um, <laughs> we have we have one uh, surviving, don't we, Mark, which is... Mystery of Caderivan, which is based on Sergio Gastafel. Mm. Yeah. Um, but but the rest, unfortunately, have, have have been lost. But Mark has been delving in the archives of was it, was it the BFI? Yeah, the BFI and yeah. the BBC um, and the the Hawksworth papers there, uh, and found out an awful lot about this this series. And again, I do recommend this. this, this <laughs> thank, well, thank you absolutely wholeheartedly um, because it, it's it's filling a gap that that. Um, that, that most of us didn't even even know about, and it's 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 wonderful. And again, where I've been talking about context an awful lot in this show, the context of the Granada series, yeah, is is widened by 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 knowledge of of, of this series. So yes, yeah, so, well done and thanks, Mark. <laughs> well, for, thank for you for that. Producing that, and and on the back of that, I'd just also like to mention Kaleidoscope, who've published uh, Mark's book. I've also done a long-awaited and and much-needed um, reissue of David Stuart Davis's classic book, Bending the Willow, yes. uh, which is his personal reflection on the, um, the, the the Granada series. Absolutely brilliant book. Came out yeah. in, first in 1996. Um, hasn't been reissued enough, um, but fortunately we have a very nice production job done here uh, from Kaleidoscope. And again, highly recommended. If you don't have a copy of this book, you must. Yeah, it's uh, absolutely essential, mm. isn't it? It is. It mm. really is. Mm. <laughs> you very nicely mentioned there um, the, the Conan Doyle Mystery and Adventure book, and actually the first episode of that series adapted uh, by Hawksworth was lot number 249. And mm. Here we have it adapted again, this time by Mark Gatiss for the, mm-hmm. the ghost story for Christmas slot, which mm-hmm. has been a bit of a sort of, well, on and off mainstay of British television, I suppose, if you can mm-hmm. be an on and off mainstay, in that it was there in the 70s uh, mm-hmm. with um, adaptations of the works of M.R. James by uh, Lawrence Gordon Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Mark Gatiss took on the mantle fairly recently. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this adaptation. Um, I thought that it had a lot going for it. And Gatiss was able to do something that I think Hawksworth did back in 67, which was to go back to the original text and where possible remain faithful to it. And then also to draw out some of the themes that he was particularly interested in exploring. As, as we discussed in, in our episode on lot number 249, there is, there's this, Gatiss is bringing out the you know, subjects which, which, which are there. Um in a way, hiding in plain sight. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the the kind of the, the homoeroticism. Yes. Yeah. Which you you can say is is there in the original, and 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 this this is interestingly when it was first published uh, before the 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 Oscar Wilde trial. Um, so this this stuff's bubbling under the surface, as yeah. well as you know the the, the old favorite you know, the central imperial gothic. Yes. 
it's yeah. it's certainly there in in the original, and it's it's just brought out in slightly different take, shall we say, that, that Gatiss has on these these issues than uh, than Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah. Um, but they 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 both work. Yeah, um, we have to also mention that um, we are fortunate enough to know the chap who played the mummy. In this, oh yes, in this other <laughs> James Swanton is a friend a friend of ours, and he very diligently did not tell us anything about the production mm. at all. Um, uh, so it so it genuinely came as a, a a complete revelation to watch it on on Christmas Eve. Um, mm. But I did I was really pleased to see that they did the whole mummy running sequence. Um, mm. uh, because that is terrifying in the story, and it worked really, really well on uh, on on television as well. Um, and um, but the the sort of major change that happened in the story was that um, there was the introduction of a certain detective who was mm. looking for um, rooms at Baker Street at the time, yeah. and 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 asking that uh, no ghosts apply, please. Yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I thought that worked very nicely. Yeah. Um, and it is one point of the the original story where where the the kind of advisory character is a doctor, uh, and I, I've always felt when I've read the story, I would actually change him into a priest yes. rather than a doctor. <clears throat> so to have this further change, which I thought, yeah, that works very nicely. It's a bit of fun, you know. It it just fitted in to yeah. to the format very nicely. It didn't jar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unlike, I mean, we, we, for those who haven't seen it yet, we can't give too much away really. Uh, but the, 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 the ending certainly jarred with me. Oh, uh, yes. It, it was Mark Gatiss pulling the same trick he tried with the mezzo tint earlier on. Demar James is the mezzo tint and it didn't work in that either. Mm. And I don't feel it worked here. I, yeah. I thought it just, you know, it, it turned the story on its head right at the end in a way that I don't think worked. But yeah. that's me. That's, well, that's a personal view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I like. I, I am really hopeful that actually this could be the opening for more adaptations of Conan Doyle's non-Sherlockian work on television. Because mm. I think what it does show is that the source material is still good enough to produce good television now. Mm. And and it's 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 a lot of it as with with Imperial Gothic and so on. It it's it's touching on themes that we're interested in now. Yeah. It's, it's 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 the joy of so much Conan Doyle. He he does speak to the the, the contemporary. Yeah, um, which, which is probably why the the one area of his work that's most neglected is the historical novels because they tend not to. Yes, but Holmes and the Gothic stories they 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 are you know timeless. Yeah, I think that's very true. Mm. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here, and I think um, you know, 2023 was a really big year for Conan Doyle studies, and it looks set to continue. Um, we apologise to anybody if we've missed anything major. Um, mm-hmm. With the amount of Conan Doyle-related work that was going on in 2023, it's really hard to stay abreast of it, which in a way is a positive thing. Yes. Um, and uh, but if you want to recommend anything that you saw or you experienced or you thought was particularly good in 2023, then please drop by the website um, and uh, drop a comment on the episode webpage. Uh, mm. We'd love to hear what you enjoyed in 2023. So um, we're getting to the end of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, please leave us a rating or review on the podcaster of your choice um, or consider becoming a patron on Patreon or PayPal. You can find out more at the website. So Paul, next time we're going back to our regular programming. What do we have in store for listeners? Uh, we are we're going back to the Napoleonic period again mm. um, for the next episode, which is uh, the novella The Great Shadow. 
it's it's a, a, a wonderful piece of adventure fiction and and uh, you know, battle narrative. Yes. It's it's a, it's a gem which is overlooked a lot. So it would be great fun to uh, to explore it in some detail. Yeah, so we might end up touching on Ridley Scott at some point. Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Well, until then, it's goodbye from me, and goodbye from me. Goodbye. Lane takes the value of four, and instead of its structure oh, of so you tr- said the value of four, you said I did say the value of four. There's the outtake. There you go. <laughs>